Hello, Gateway. My name is Sean Stevenson Douglas, and I am the president of Eston College, and it is an absolute honor to be sharing with you this morning. Uh, I, I can't be there in person, of course, uh, partially just because it's the long drive, but also, of course, the restrictions of COVID mean that um, interprovincial travel is quite restricted. But I'm very, very grateful that we have this digital means at least to connect. And, and I just want to say thank you to the leadership of Gateway for opening up this platform for me to be able to share with you. Um, it's no small thing, so thanks. Uh, as I said, I'm the president of Eston College. I've only been here for four months. I moved back to Saskatchewan on December 2nd, which is something that all my friends and family say that I am absolutely insane for doing, because previous to that, we were living on the Mediterranean coast of Turkey. One day we were in shorts, and the next day we were in parkas. Um, but I do have to say it's been wonderful to be back. My wife and I and my two sons, uh, who, are, who are both pretty little, um, one is going to be four this spring and one just turned two, we were all living in Turkey. We had been in Turkey for six years prior and, uh, and just making disciples and sharing the gospel there. Estin has been home, however, though we did our, our Bachelor of Biblical Studies, um, graduating in 2010, my wife and I in the same year, and then we were on staff for a few years before that. So we weren't coming back to somewhere that was unfamiliar to us. This really has been home and has quickly become home again. And, uh, and one of the perks of the job is simply that I get to do this. I get to share with people um, what's going on in Eston. So a quick update before we get into the word, and we will get into the word this morning, a quick update about what's going on in Eston. Um, our mission is to equip students to know the scriptures and the power of God to further the Great Commission. And out of that mission statement, we draw, we, we, we kind of express maybe these three chords, these three strands that make up the chord of our spiritual DNA. And that is word, spirit, and mission. When it comes to the word, we are a Bible college. Our primary textbook in any class, regardless of the topic, is the Bible. We are accredited with the highest level of accreditation that a Bible college can have in North America with the Association for Biblical Higher Education, ABHE. And, and we want to be people who know the word. We want to get into the word until the word gets into us and then comes back out again. So we want to be excellent in the word. That's the first part of our spiritual DNA. The second part is to know the power of God or, or just, uh, again, summed up in the word spirit. We want to be people who live a supernatural lifestyle. And when I say the word supernatural, I don't mean that, you know, somehow there's good spiritual stuff and then, you know, the world is bad. That's not what I mean at all. We believe that all of creation, all of the natural order, all of the everyday mundane stuff that we go through is suspended in the Holy Spirit, that the presence of God is diffused among all of creation. But we also want to be people who live as we only can because the Spirit of God is interacting with us. So that does mean signs and wonders and miracles. That does mean hearing the voice of God regularly in our lives and sharing prophetic words with other people. That does mean um, healing, and it does mean that every day we get to walk with a living God rather than one who's merely a philosophy or merely a historical figure or merely a myth. This is the Spirit. This is what we mean by supernatural lifestyle, and this is what we practice at Eston College. And third, we talk about mission, the mission of God, to further the Great Commission. We train by doing. We don't believe that our students' ministries start after they leave Eston College and that this is a training period where they are only conceptually engaging with what, with what discipleship means or, or what ministry formation means. No, on the contrary, we believe that the best way um, to train is by doing. And then we marry that with the deep mind formation, you know, the, the thought formation that comes with the kind of study that happens at a Bible college. And so we want to be a kind of a school 
that does the mission of God as we go. I know that I'm going to be teaching Intro to Mission as a, as a freshman class in the fall, and I'm really excited because we have, we're surrounded by small towns in our rural Saskatchewan context, as well as a few um, larger cities uh, just a couple hours away, where there are many, many lost people, and even in the, the towns around us, no churches. So my question is, can we go out? Can students who have only been on campus for a few weeks and, and staff who call Est in their home, can we go out and as we teach and as we train and as we, we, we go through something as, as maybe ordinary as it seems, a certificate or a degree of biblical studies, can we go and see the lost reached? Can we go and see the hungry fed? Can we go and see the marginalized brought into the family of God? Can we go and be the blessing that Christ wants us to be in the world as our, our way of teaching? So that's who we are at Eston College. What's new? Eston College, I am glad to announce, is launching online education, and we are calling it ECO, Eston College Online. Very simple, Eston College Online, ECO. So how this is going to work is um, these are going to be what are called adjunct courses. So that means that they're, they're not accredited under our, our accreditation, at least not at first, although they will be in the coming year. In September 2021, we are um, going live with the first 10 courses. And they'll be, uh, from a learner's perspective, a 30-hour course on a given topic. And these are going to be courses uh, that are taught by practitioners, people who know the topics that they're teaching deeply, but they also live the topics that they're teaching. Our instructors are coming from all across Canada right now, literally from East Coast to West Coast, um, and then uh, from Central Canada and the Prairies as well, of course. Um, and um, But as time goes on, we're going to be adding global voices, and I'm really excited for rolling all that out. By 2023, our hope is to have 50 courses and a whole bunch of different courses as well. By then, you'll be able to take a fully accredited online courses. By then, you'll be able to do group classes where it requires two or more people to sit down and go through the content together. Um, and then, of course, we're going to add more and more to our course library of these initial ones, which are, are, are classes that you can take at any time from anywhere and, and get your, your education, your, your Bible education, your spiritual formation from us. I'm also glad to say that we have, uh, we're just deeply convicted that, that Bible college education needs to be affordable for everybody. And uh, we have a few really exciting um, things that we're doing to, to change how that looks on campus as well. But we're starting with our online uh, courses. We are just, um, like Netflix, making it a subscription model. So for $25 a month, you'll get access to all our 30-hour our, uh, courses, our one-credit courses, and, um, and you, can do, you can work at your own pace. So if you, if you just crank it, if you crank that out and you do lots and lots of hours in a week, you're able to go through many courses for just um, $25 uh, a month. And if you want to work slowly, that $25 a month is still very affordable. So you'll still have access to those courses as well. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. That's ECO, Essen College Online. Next, um, we are launching an alumni association, an alumni network, we're calling it. The alumni network has three um, three kind of purposes. One is to connect alumni to alumni. If you have come through the doors as a student of, at Eston College or, or any other Bible college really, you'll know that there's just really deep relationships that get formed there. And sometimes as the years go on, you just lose track of your, of your classmates. And so we wanted to provide a, a platform and an official space for Eston College or FGBI, our previous name, Full Gospel Bible Institute, um, students to be able to connect with one another. Next is, of course, communication with the college. We want you to be able to participate with what we're doing, and we want to be a presence in your life that continues to bless you even after um, you're gone from the physical campus and, and you just are, are then join the uh, alumni. Uh, and finally, we believe in uh, the purpose, rather, of the alumni network is for collaboration. 
We just believe that um, there are kingdom projects out there for advancing the mission of God in the world that would, that would go faster and get done better um, if people were able to network a little easier. So we're, we're creating this platform for networking, for connecting with other alumni, and for communicating with the college. So if you want more information about that or you need more information about ECO, go to uh, sncollege.ca or you can find us on Facebook, um, sncollege, or facebook.com slash sncollege. And I would just say, if you want to come on campus, I, this is your formal invite. If you're sitting in the crowd and you are able to, whether you're 18 years old or 80 years old, we would love to have you next year. If you're feeling a stirring in your heart to Bible college, um, call me, call one of my staff, and let's have the conversation about what that looks like. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are the great witness. You are convicting people of the, of the truth of Jesus now. Father, you are drawing people to Christ now. And Jesus, you have paid the ultimate sacrifice and shown us your love in hanging on the cross. And so we just glorify you in that. And I pray that everybody tuning into this, wherever they may be, would receive the spirit of the witness today and that you would take us deeper into the gospel. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So about a week ago, I completed, maybe two weeks ago, I completed a ministry survey. What I did is I sent out a, a survey questionnaire to our ministry partners and I asked them to report on a bunch of different things and, and um, got a lot of interesting answers and interesting insights. But there's two questions that, that really struck me. One was I asked, what does your church do? What does your, your, your church body do? And, and there was a, a bunch of different ministries that were listed, of course. And I also asked, what do you want for your community? What is your greatest prayer for your community? And almost universally, there, there wasn't nearly as much variance in the second response as there was in the first. Almost universally, everybody who responded said, we want our community to know Jesus and be transformed by him. We want the lost to be found. It was interesting because I would say only maybe a third of the responses before that, a third of the churches that responded on our survey, actually said that they were doing any regular evangelism. Whether that be attractional, of inviting people in, or it be missional by going out to where the lost may be found. Only about a third were doing it. So we intuitively sense the imperative of evangelism. We want it for our communities, and there's a lot of reasons we want it. We want it because Jesus just deserves it. He deserves it. He really is the lamb who was slain. He really is the Alpha and the Omega, and he really does deserve the allegiance and the affection and the worship of everybody on earth. So that's a, that's a great reason for evangelism. But we also want it because we know that it would benefit the people um, who are lost to come to Christ. There is healing, emotional, spiritual, physical, in Jesus. There is a transformation of worldview that happens there. There is liberty from sin and from ego and from old patterns when you come to Christ. And we want people to experience that. We want our neighbors to walk in that. And lastly, and maybe this is the most selfish reason we want people to come to Christ, but there's also a depth of relationship that can happen when we get to fellowship over our faith. And I don't mean the kind of fellowship that's just cookies and, and coffee after the service, though that's great. I mean really walking life through together with people who have given their heart to Christ, who, who Jesus has become our first affection, our first pursuit. I know that I have dearly, dearly beloved lost friends. And, and I don't use that term in a derogatory sense. If you're a non-believer and you're tuning into this, it's just simply, we, we use that language because once we are in Christ, it is as if 
our life has been found and made anew. Not just as if it actually is that our life has been made anew. And that the, the created purpose that we were given is suddenly uncovered and released. And so that can mean just an enhancement of, of all the good qualities that are already there, but it also means the elimination of a lot, that, a lot of the garbage and the junk, the barnacles of life that kind of collect on us. It means absolute transformation. And that kind of, that kind of depth of relationship can only come when we're in Jesus together. And so my, my wonderful and beloved and generous and hospitable Muslim friends in Turkey, as well as m- most of my family are not believers, you know, these people who I gather together, who, who we share life together, we love each other. That love is real. But when a friend or a family member comes to Christ, there is some, a new level of bond that comes. So that's one other reason why we want people to experience the transformative love and the authority of Jesus in their lives. But sadly, regardless of all those reasons, and regardless of the fact that we intuitively know it, evangelism is one of the most neglected life and discipleship skills in the church and in the mission of, of, uh, of disciples. I'm doing a, a, a master's degree in leadership and spiritual formation right now. I'm about a third of the way through it. And I've now read many you know, books on, on spiritual growth, on, on spiritual disciplines, fasting, prayer, worship, Bible reading, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the list goes on. Do you know that I have not read a single source or had a single class about evangelism as a spiritual discipline? Church, evangelism, going out and sharing your, your faith, going out and living as a witness for Jesus among people who do not yet believe in him is one of the best kept and most unfortunately kept secrets in the church. That if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, go and be among the lost. Go, you know, Jesus tells the parable of leaving the 99 and going to find the one sheep. If he's there with that one sheep, that's where we want to be as well, if we want intimacy with him. I read a a survey recently that that was quite sad. It was done in 2018, and uh, it was was, uh, across uh, Pentecostal evangelical denominations, uh, Protestants, Catholics, everybody. And in 2018, only three out of ten Christians reported that they believed that it was their church's responsibility to reach un- non-Christians around them, unbelievers, the lost around them. To the other 71% of people that said, you know, no, it's not our responsibility. We don't need to do that. Only a third said, yes, we should do that. To the other 71, I would say, what's plan B? If it's not us who go and share the gospel, then who's it going to be? And on top of that, uh, 65% of the people uh, surveyed who did say that it was their responsibility to share the gospel, said that they didn't actually need words to do it, that their lifestyle, being attractive, would be enough to draw people to Christ. To all that, what I have to say this morning, and what I hope stays with you, is this. A church that doesn't frequently share the good news is destined to become old news. Let me say that again. A church that doesn't frequently share the good news is destined to become old news. Like I said, I just lived in Turkey, and today the, the Christian population is estimated at about 0. Uh, 0.05%. 100 years ago, one in eight people were believers. Do you know what happened there? The believers who were living there, yes, were, they, they faced a certain amount of persecution and loss, and, and there was a world war and a, and a, and a population exchange, etc., but the tens of thousands that remained became defensive in their faith. They stopped sharing the gospel. 
they started to believe that their faith was only for them. And now, year after year, church after church, Christian school after Christian school, seminary after seminary, monastery after monastery is closing because the church continues to shrink and to shrink and to shrink in Turkey. And, and thankfully now some things are turning around. That's another story for another day. But I would say it again. The church that doesn't frequently share the good news is destined to become old news. If we are silent in our witness, we can expect the lost to stay lost. We can expect the blessings of life in Christ to be withheld from our communities, and we can expect our churches to shrink and to disappear. So for the rest of our time together, I want to share three kind of layers to witnessing. And I, my, my hope and my prayer for you is that the spirit of the evangelist would be very present and very active at Gateway. We want to reverse the trend, and we want to restore evangelism in our midst into our personal walks with God. So the first level of engagement that's for all of us is to become witnesses. So famously, as Jesus was about to ascend in Acts chapter 1, his disciples ask him an end times question. They say, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom uh, to Israel? As now, you know, implicit in in that, is now the time you're going to throw off our, our Roman overlords? And he just blows them off. Like, I love that Jesus just answers the question that he wants to answer. And he answers what he thinks is the right question. And instead, he says in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But, and here's where he turns it to what matters, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you read through the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see this pattern repeated again and again of of Holy Spirit filling, empowering, and then witness coming and flowing out of that. That word witness is translated from the Greek martus. And martus is where we get the word in English, uh, martyr. It has the same root. There was in 2007 a group of of, uh, men who were martyred in Turkey. And uh, this is just a story that's close to my art, obviously, because we were living there. And it's, it's actually unusual. Some people are a little bit scared of Turkey and think that it's probably more dangerous for believers than it is there. And I had a great experience. But there are times when danger breaks out. And so um, what happened was, um, uh, I think uh, two foreigners and, and a couple of local brothers as well um, were killed for their faith. Their blood became a witness to that community. Firstly, because it was close friends that, and people who they had been processing with for a long time that lured them into a trap where ultimately they were killed. But secondly, it was because the widow and the children of one of the men, one of the married men who were killed there, stayed in that city and are in that city to this day. Their children graduated from the high school there. Their wife continues to share the gospel there. And you know, interestingly, the majority Muslim population took this family in to protect them from this very small group of people that had acted out against them. The act of love and commitment that that family showed after they lost their father, after they lost their husband, spoke so loudly and so deeply to the population that now there's a a couple of flourishing churches in that community. So when we hear the word witness, I want it to be tied in our mind to evangelism. Uh, Or sorry, uh, uh, tied in our mind to to, um, the word martyr. A martyr um, points to the good news with her death, but we want to point to the good news with our lives. And that's where I would say the distinction is between a witness and a martyr. We are to point to Jesus with our lifestyle, to be living martyrs. 
So when Jesus says, you will receive the Holy Spirit and become witnesses, and he goes on to, to list Ju um, Jerusalem and then, and then ultimately the ends of the earth and a few other stages between it, he's telling us that no matter where we go on this earth, that our words, our actions, our decisions, our possessions, our vocation, our job, our families, our relationships are all meant to be a witness to who he is. They're all meant to point toward the truth of his death and resurrection, the good news for our neighbors and the good news for people who are far off, the good news for our enemies even. There's an often quoted um, kind of catchphrase that says, preach the gospel always and use words if necessary. Can I be honest with you? I actually hate that. I hate that quote. It's 100% true, but it's also 100% misunderstood. These words, maybe more than any other Christian catchphrase that I'm aware of, have been used to justify spiritual silence in the world. It was St. Francis who said that. I don't know if you know much about Francis of Assisi. He lived in the Middle Ages um, and he was a monk. He cut his hair in a tonsure. means he shaved the top part off completely there. So wherever he walked around, like other monks of his, of his time, even his hairstyle was showing that he was committed to Jesus. When he, he came to Christ, you know, or stepped over the line of being a nominal Christian to a committed one, he stripped naked publicly and gave his clothes away to all the poor that were around him. He constantly went on evangelistic tours through the rest of his life. He hosted seven prayer meetings a day, early in the morning and late at night and everything in between. Everywhere he was found, he shared the gospel. He even took a trip once um, during the Crusades, crossed the battle lines from the European Crusaders, who were Christian, into the Muslim camp to share with the general because he said, if we're willing to go and to shed blood for the name of Jesus, we need to be able to go and share the gospel. He is the one who said, preach the gospel always and use words if necessary. And so I want to say to you, if your hairstyle and your clothing and your, the way that you're spending your money and the way that you're praying and the way that you're going out and sharing is so much that it starts to match Francis. If you have that kind of big billboard Christianity lifestyle, then you can use that quote and you can say, you know, preach the gospel always and use words if necessary. That's who Jesus is calling us to be. We are called to be witnesses. We're, we are called to this lifestyle of witness. And I would say to you, if you call yourself a believer and a disciple of Jesus, that witness is the baseline. It is the default setting for every follower of Jesus, even to the ends of the earth. A church that doesn't frequently share the good news is destined to become old news. If we want your church to expand, if we want Gateway to expand and the kingdom of heaven to expand in your communities and the glory of God to move through your city, then we need to adopt a lifestyle of witness. But let's say you want to go a little bit further. You want to be a little bit more intentional just than a lifestyle of witness. The next kind of layer to this is winning your network and going within your social circles and, and, and sharing Christ there. Luke 5, 1 to 11 tells the story of Peter and James and John becoming disciples. And it's the famous one where Jesus is preaching on the, on the side of, of, I believe, the Sea of Galilee. And he gets into the boat and he asks them to, to go out a little bit. They were fishermen, so they had the equipment. And his voice carries better over the waters, so he finishes his message. And then when it's all done, he says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And so they do, and they have two big boatloads of fish, almost so much that the, the boats are about to sink. What's fascinating about that story to me is that um, I, I already listed them, but Peter... James and John are all business partners who all come to Christ together. 
If you go a little bit down the page and in the chapter, if you're with me, read out of Luke 5, uh, verse 27 to 29. Uh, This is later in the story now. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. Again, we see a group of people drawn to Jesus at the same time. We see one person deeply touched, or in the first story that I told at the beginning of the chapter 5, with the disciples, a small group of people deeply touched, who then immediately go out and start to share. When we tell salvation stories, quite frequently, we focus on the individual. But did you know if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, that over 50% of the salvation stories are groups. They're more than one person coming to Christ at the same time. They are whole families coming to Christ. They are whole businesses coming to Christ. They are several from a synagogue or, or a religious small group coming to Christ. They are groups of friends coming to Christ. They are social classes coming to Christ. There are even stories of small cities coming to Christ all together. So if level one is, is just the, the lifestyle of a witness that we talked about, level two is winning your social network. You are the salvation plan for the people around you. I know COVID restrictions have changed the way that we connect with people, but that doesn't mean that we don't connect anymore. So this is, this is what I want you to do. Oh, and I would add, you know, one day COVID will be over and hopefully that day will be sooner rather than later. And this same exercise will help as restrictions get less and less in our communities and, and we start to go back to whatever the next normal is going to be. Here's a simple exercise. Make a circle on a piece of paper or, you know, if you're techie, do it on your iPad or whatever it is, that's, that's fine on your tablet. Put your name in the middle of it. If you go to work or you go to school, in one part of the circle, and I mean, you can make it like a pie if you want, that doesn't necessarily matter, but in one part of the circle, I want you to write the names of your, of your coworkers or your classmates or your teachers, or if you are a teacher, your students. In another part of the circle, I want you to write um, the grocery store you go to, the gas station where you get your gas, any other kind of stops where you go to do normal daily life tasks. Write that, those places and the names of the people who are found in those places. In another part of the circle, you can write the names of family, especially unsaved family. And in another one, friends or, or hobby groups. Basically, what you're doing is you're surveying all of your spiritual, or sorry, your, your social networks. This then becomes your prayer list. These are the people, I, I would say, don't even bother with your social media. It's too broad. It's too much. The people that you see face to face. I want you to think about them. The people who you interact with, at least on, a, on, a, on an every other week kind of basis. List those people. That's your prayer list. I challenge you to pray for all of them, Christian and non-Christian, at least once weekly. And when you pray, say, Holy Spirit, would you give me an opportunity to share something true about you today with one of these? It doesn't even have to be a full gospel presentation. There doesn't need to be big pressure to use some kind of method like the Romans wrote and, and get them to the line of salvation. That's, that's not even what I'm asking you. I'm saying ask for an opportunity to share in your social circle. And I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will start to give it to you. And I guarantee that if you start to just open your mouth to step over the line of awkwardness and just to say in these people that have already been given to you and amongst them, Jesus is Lord, Jesus loves you, he has died and raised again, and you can have life in him. If you start to say that, you will start to see people transformed and not only other people, yourself. A church that doesn't frequently share the good news is destined to become old news. And by church, I don't mean you the policy book or the procedures or, or the bylaws of Gateway. 
I mean the real human beings, the ones who have been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, who now form a new community called Gateway. The church, the church that we're talking about there that frequently shares the good news is not just an organization. It is, it is an organism. It is a member of God. You are the church and your social network is the mission field of Gateway. There's one last level though that I want to share with you about. It is the identity gift of the evangelist. So let's say you, you've gotten it. You know, we're all witnesses. So we're living this witness lifestyle. And then you say, okay, I'm going to start to make some steps. And, and in my social circles, I'm going to share the gospel. But for some of you, there's something more. Like the disciples in, in Luke 5, actually, you're called to leave your nets and maybe even make this your full-time job. Or you stay exactly where you are, but you still make it your, the purpose of staying where you are. Let's turn to Ephesians 5. Oh, sorry. And by that, I mean Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, um, 7 and 8, and then we're going to read verses 11 to 13. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, He ascended on high and he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This passage is where we get the concept of the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or, or, or pastors, and teachers. I go lots of places. Um, when I was on, uh, on furloughs and, and home assignments as a missionary, um, I would go to lots and lots of different local churches and I would connect with lots of ministry leaders. And um, I've met lots of people who are starting to call themselves a prophet apostles and prophets. You know, there was a time where that was pretty taboo, or at least it was just in really kind of niche circles that we would do that. But now people are starting to recognize the apostolic and the prophetic gift and, and, and recognizing that they have been given as an apostle or as a prophet to the church. And almost any church that you go into is going to have a team of pastors. And so um, it, it's easy to find somebody with, with the word pastor on their business card and, and, and who are that identity gift of a, of a pastor. And I lead a Bible college. So, of course, I'm surrounded by teachers. But, you know, for some reason, and I, I don't really necessarily know what that reason is, the gift of the evangelist is rare. I would almost use the word suppressed in our church circles. And I don't really, again, I don't really have an answer for you as to why that is. But I want to I make a note here. I want, I want to say to you that the gift of evangelist is not the gift of evangelism. In fact, I'm unaware of a, of a place in the New Testament that talks about the gift of evangelism. Evangelism, sharing the gospel, proclaiming who Jesus is, is for all of us, as I've already said. But the evangelist, somebody with a special anointing to share and to empower and train other people to share, is a gift. It is a gift. If you are an evangelist, you have been given to the church for this purpose and to the world for this purpose. And I know that some of you, as you watch this, you feel butterflies in your stomach. You feel almost a dull ache in your chest as you are drawn into this reality. It's longing that you feel. It's the witness of the Holy Spirit that you are an evangelist. Some of us who have rejoined church online um, or who were on the peripheries of church when COVID first started, um, uh, would be able to relate to this as well. 
I know that lots of people who go away on YWAM and sadly some who go to Bible college or other short-term missions opportunities, Cape and Ray, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, come back and they don't find their place in the local church again. And my experience is that many, many of those people are just capital E, five-fold evangelists, and they just never found a place in the church. They never found how they could connect. And yet you are stirred and you are called. You have a longing in your heart to stand up and to be this evangelist. And, and again, maybe some other ones are listening to this and, and you don't necessarily feel all that. Maybe you haven't had that training. You weren't on the fringe. You were never suppressed. You know, none of those things. But you do, whenever we talk about the lost or whenever we talk about, about sharing our faith, maybe fear rises up in you, but excitement is on the other side of fear. You feel a conviction that this is for you. You may be a five-fold evangelist if you fall into any of those categories. You are meant to be a gospel waterfall pouring out the proclamation of the good news of Jesus and salvation in his name to the world. And you are meant to make a way for others to share and to equip the body to be an evangelistic church. A church that doesn't frequently share the good news is destined to become old news. Without a release of evangelists, we will not have churches that frequently share the good news. And so therefore, we will become old news and we will disappear within a generation. In this message, I suggested these three levels of engagement of sharing our faith. A lifestyle of witness, we're all called to that. Sharing in your network, we should, we can all do that. With a little bit of effort and a little bit of intentionality, we can all do it. And the gift of an evangelist. And I believe that if we make room for it in our churches, that more and more will rise up into this calling. I have never seen a church where 100% of the body shares their faith on a regular basis. I've never been in a local church like that. Certainly not one that where all the people would share weekly in a normal week. But I do believe, I believe in faith that if and when I see a church where the whole body shares their faith weekly, that I will be in a place where revival lives. I will be in a place where heaven breaks into that city, that community, that region on a regular basis. I have no doubt that I would see transformation in that place. And I have no doubt that those disciples, that body, although they would see some spiritual warfare, they would see pushback from the enemy, that they would also be among the most potent spiritual force and the most intimate with Christ that I have ever seen in my life. We as a church, if we do not frequently share the good news, we are destined to become old news. And so it is going to be my prayer, and I'm going to close here. I'm just going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray an impartation to you of the spirit of the evangelist. And I know that, Gateway, you are already going in this direction, and there's some, there's some important steps being taken to share in your community. This was a word on my heart um, before there was any discussion about what, uh, what you were teaching about in the near future. So I just really feel like this, that the Lord is in this and he's in it for you in this season. So I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless everyone listening to this, whether they would call themselves a part of Gateway or not. In the name of Jesus, may the spirit of the witness just flare up in them. I pray for living martyrs to live, Lord Jesus, in the communities of the people who are, who are tuning in. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you would empower them to share their faith with love and with truth and that they would see fruit break in um, soon and right away. I pray that you would help people get over the fear of sharing their faith. I pray that you would release evangelists and that there would be lots of fivefold evangelists to show us, us, the rest of the way in this church. And I pray that Gateway would lead the charge. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Once again, be blessed today.